Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And I thank you for your prayers. It was too many days that the oak allergies of South Texas were sweeping through my body. It basically took away my voice. But I am back and... I want to share with you from Judges. It's a story that I'm sure we've visited before. I have been meditating on this story, I suppose, for over half a century. It is one of those Old Testament stories that you go back to and back to, and every time you do, you discover something that you hadn't seen before or hadn't seen it so clearly. And so it's the story of Gideon and how the angel of the Lord came to him and what ensued thereafter, which you might say was the conversation between Gideon and the Lord. And let me just quickly say, angel of the Lord. It's a unique person that shows up in the Old Testament without explanation not just an angel, the angel of the Lord. And I believe that they were pre-incarnation appearances of Jesus because um, further down the passage, the angel of the Lord suddenly is called the Lord. And also angel, as I've told you before, is a word, in my opinion, that shouldn't be in our vocabulary. It's a word that we didn't translate it. It means messenger. It means the one bearing the news, bearing the message. And so Jesus is the word of God. And so hold that in mind as we read this. Then verse 11, then the angel of the Lord came, sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord, notice there the change from angel of the Lord, the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Gideon said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in 
Manasseh, the tribe of Manasseh. I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. I'll leave it there. That's enough for the present moment. Um, It's just enough to say the Midianites, which were uh, a tribe of uh, an extended family of of thugs. We we would probably call them today a motorcycle gang, um, but there were plenty of them. And they would descend upon the peoples here in Manasseh, a tribe that's right in the middle of Israel, and they would steal and plunder and take all their crops and anything they could lay hands on, and off they went on their camels. And um, then when there was more harvest, back they came. And so they were totally harassing these people. And Israel cowered before them and let them do it. And now Gideon is threshing his wheat in the winepress, which, uh, just to show the quick mind of Gideon at that time, he, he was threshing wheat in the winepress? Um, no, th- that meant he was doing it in secret. The winepress, sort of a cave area, would be the last place the Midianites would look for wheat. And so... Uh, Gideon was beating out the wheat, uh, threshing it, and um, doing it in the winepress as a cowardly act, doing it to hide from the Midianites. And so he puts his head out of the winepress. You can see the look of, you know, an anxious look. He's looking to see, are there any Midianites around? Anybody that would see me? And as he's coming out of his cave. His heroic act has been to hide from the Midianites. And and so as he comes out, he meets with this appearance of the presence of God, sitting under the oak, looking every bit like a traveler, who says those words, the Lord be with you, mighty man of valor. Now, the context, what, what's going on here? What, what's the meaning of the conversation? Behind all of this, behind, in fact, all the stories of the Old Testament, it was always taken into consideration because they're all about the same thing when you boil it down. Behind this is the covenant. That is the covenant that the Lord had made with Abraham and uh, sealed it to change his name to Abraham, the covenant that brought forth Isaac, and then the covenant made with the whole vast extended family as it had become by the time of Exodus. Uh, God makes covenant with them um, and at Mount Sinai, and they have a covenant meal, the Passover, their whole life their whole history, every hope that they had as a people, all centers around the covenant, the covenant. God had entered into covenant. And covenant is birthed in and from the fact that comes into full light in the New Testament that God is love. 
And it's that word agape. God is love. It's not a human love. It is this extreme love of God, agape. And God is this. And if I were to try and put agape into such few words as we have time for tonight, it would be that agape is the everlasting, um, unstoppable, ever-reaching of the the energy and the being of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to unite. And so it begins within the Holy Trinity. The, the Father ever unites with the Son who unites with the Father. And the Father and the Son and the Spirit unite together to, to the uh, su- such a union that the three are actually one. And the, it's agape. It's this, this love that cannot be content and will never accept anything less than union, which is that love reaching out to his creation. We were created for union with this God. He refuses simply to be God. There's no such thing in the Bible as a God up there. Whenever you say he's up there, you've totally missed the entire Bible. You might as well talk paganism. God refuses to be God, leaving you out. Go through the Bible, and it's the entire story is of God reaching into our situation to be one with us right there, to be with us, and and together with us. That's the story. And he's pro-us. That's who God is. And so you have words cropping up like favor. He favors us, which one could translate into English, modern English. He's got a bias toward us. He likes us. He'll go out of his way to, and the other word, bless us, which means to empower us for good, to enable us to live a life a brimming life and success in life, prosperity of spirit and mind, emotions, and all that we touch. You could say agape means preference. He prefers us to all of creation. He prefers you to visit with you and to know you and be known of you. And so out of that comes the expression, um, the Lord be with you. Uh, That Lord be with you, as we've said many times, is one of the foundation words, sentences of the Old Testament, actually the whole Bible. The Lord be with you. Of course, he's with you. He has given, it's his very nature, it's his being. It's not something he does. It's not an action that could be, might be, no, it's, it's not something that God is suddenly fired up about and then forgets about. He is. He is. It's his being to thus be for us, be with us. And he sealed that in something humans could understand by a covenant in which he swore an oath upon his own being, meaning that if this is not brought to pass, then indeed... 
um, God would cease to exist. He says, I'm with you. I'm committed. I give myself to you. All that I am, I give to you. It's covenant. And therefore, the way um, in Old Testament imagery it is put, if, if the Lord is with you, then you are a thousand times more than you appear to be. You're, you're not just um, a created human um, the, the the result of, of your family genes and so on, the Lord is with you and therefore you are if God is with you then you have the wisdom of God you, you, you have the strength of God and so as I say in Old Testament in, in Leviticus it, it says when, when your enemies see you they'll think they're seeing five of you and when there's a bunch of you they, they see a hundred of you and, and so you, you are perceived to be so much more than you would be otherwise. You, you, you're not just what you look in the mirror and see. The Lord is with you. Um, well, that was the covenant. And as I say, that's why they're a nation. That explains them all the way from Isaac being born, all the way through to the Red Sea parting, all the way through the wilderness of the manor and so on. Their, their, their being as a nation is because God swore with an oath upon his being that he was with them and with them in order ultimately through them bring the whole world into such relationship. Well, as a people, they celebrated the event. I mean, it was like Americans celebrate the 4th of July. It, it, was, it was the day when the, they became a people. It was the point in time and history when they ceased to be just a heap of humans to become this people. They were those with whom God himself had declared to be. It was the event, the event. But you know... And this is, is, is true of every generation. They, they remembered the event when these things happened, but they forgot. That is, they, they remembered the event, but they didn't bring that event into this now moment. Nor did they see it as now personal to them in their daily life and in their circumstances, the event to be celebrated in great days of feasting, but forgotten as far as being a dynamic reality in the present. So it was remote history. History, yes, remote. Now when I think about it, one might say... Um, it's got some amazing stuff in there. I mean, parting Red Sea and manner in the wilderness so so and they begin to waver on actual history and it becomes tradition and it could actually end up just becoming legend that we hear this rumor that God did these things but of course that's who knows and so it became remote it became disconnected it was part of their history, it's who they were, but they were disconnected in living it in their life today. Or, another word would be, they did not obey it. The word obey, a massive word in the Bible, 
and so often uh, religion has caused us to think of it as you know when the authority figure comes into the room and you're doing something wrong and they shout at you that you should obey them or the the school teacher that came with ruler in hand and smashed across your hand and told you to shape up and obey, that sort of thing. And so you, you miss, totally, totally miss what the scriptures are talking about. Obey in the Bible. Maybe we would be closer to understanding if we change the word to its most central meaning in the Bible, which is listen. Uh, the word obey in its simplest sense means to listen from above that is God is speaking his truth regarding himself who he is speaking his truth regarding who you are all because of covenant so listen listen and you know listen is is a lot more than just a passing hearing i hear many things in a day i don't listen to all of them obedience the central meaning is i listen i listen and i listen from above god is speaking and those words he speaks are to be trusted they are words of the agape god he i can trust his words because he loves, and he loves me, and he's speaking truth to me because he loves me. And obedience means listening with that heart set. I then go on to turn it into behavior, to actualize this union that I have with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. But such people as I just described, they do not obey. That is, it's back there in history. It stays back there in history. We celebrate every year. The dates of our life are full of all these things that God has done. We celebrate. But um, as far as listening to that now, listening to what that God says to me now, no, that was just wasn't there. And so they disobeyed. Okay, such a man was Gideon. And the Lord sits there under the tree, looking like a traveler just having a rest in the heat of the day, and says the words, The Lord be with you, and said them with such a tone, such intensity, that Gideon recognized he wasn't just saying that as a greeting. It, it was a statement, The Lord is with you. And goes on to say, an amazing statement, he said, O mighty man of valor, or as my translation has, O valiant warrior. Enough to say that that expression that we translate in that way, it's um, kind of an old-fashioned way of saying it, the way we've translated. It, it, it is spoken of... Well, actually, it's spoken of a small army. When the Queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon, she had an entourage, a very, a very real but small army of soldiers to protect her. Um, it would be a, a very little but very effective fighting force. I suppose you could so call them special ops, but 
And, and that's the word, the same word. It, it describes a small but very effective, highly trained army. That's interesting, isn't it? The Lord be with you. You're, you're a walking army. <laughs> the, the chap has just crawled out of the winepress and the Lord calls him a, a one-man army. Remember, covenant causes you to know the Lord is with you and you are more than you appear to be. Well, that, that's for sure. He says, you, you, you are, Gideon, you are a, a, a mighty, a, a warrior w with almost unlimited extension to your power. Hmm. And Gideon answered. There's a certain insolence in his answer the moment he said you know he's challenging this is a big deal he was challenging one of the most sacred most foundational truths of what it meant to be a member of Israel the Lord be with you his response was almost a sneer he said if if the Lord be with us and that immediately tells me that as far as he's concerned, the Lord is not with us anymore. In fact, by the time he finishes the sentence, he, he doesn't say, if the Lord is with us. He said, the Lord has abandoned us. That is, he's not with us. Now, why would he say that? Listen very carefully. He passed the truth of God. The truth concerning God's covenant presence, he passed that through the prism, the grid of his own experience and the appearance of things. And in so doing, cancelled out the truth of God. That is, he said, if the Lord is with us, well, I pass, the Lord is with us. I pass that through the fact the Midianites come here every harvest and strip us bare. We're harassed by bullies. We, we are tormented by these people. Um, well, you say the Lord is with us. If the Lord is, was with us, that wouldn't be happening, would it? You see, so it's pretty obvious to common sense that he's no longer with us. Uh, and I mean, I don't even have to mention the fact that I'm a walking war machine. Of course I'm not. That's ridiculous. The Lord is not with us, and I don't really know what you're talking about. If. You see, what he's saying, if the presence of God is with us, with me, then things should look like this. I should feel like that. The way things should occur in life should be in this order. People should be like this and should treat us like that. Do you follow what I'm saying? He is saying the presence of God with us. I've already decided what it is supposed to look like. And... If it doesn't look like that, then obviously his presence is not with us. I don't feel the overwhelming sense of God's presence. I feel very much like a, 
a rancher out here uh, hiding from a bunch of thugs who want to steal my harvest. I, 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 I don't have any feelings of the presence of God, so God isn't with us, is he? And, and I, I, if God was with us, these thugs wouldn't even be able to get close to us, would they? So, no. He places what is happening to him, he places his feelings about what is happening to him above the truth of God. He is dismissing God's covenant. He is saying, forget the covenant, forget all the, the whatever God said, I don't know. But God is no longer with us because it's pretty obvious to my feelings and my senses that he's not with us. Hmm. Of course, if that were true, then one would believe not in God. Hear me carefully. We would believe in our feelings about him. Big, big difference. Feelings come, feelings go. Feelings are so utterly unreliable. Uh, so they come and go, neither here nor there. If I believe in my feelings to describe the presence of God, then God is as fickle here today and gone tomorrow as my feelings are. So it would be daft anyway to go that direction. I'd be worshipping my feelings of God and calling them God. No. What, do, what does the Lord say about this? Nothing. So Gideon says, But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord says nothing, but it says, The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? That phrase, the Lord looked at him. The Lord looked at him. And then simply repeated what he'd said before. Go in this your strength. Well, what is this your strength? What he said when he first opened his mouth. The Lord is with you, your mighty warrior. That's his strength. And so disregarding what Gideon had just said, he said... Go in this your strength. But he says it, and it says, But the Lord looked. Oh, I guess I could spend a whole hour just on that. You see, the word look there, look, how, in a few words, um, the Israelites understood the presence of God as his face. Okay? I'm telling that just, just that is. So they understood the face of God equals the presence of God. And um, to look then, they use the word in Hebrew for face. Uh, because that's where your eyes are and that's where you look. And so to say that someone turned their face to you meant they looked at you. So here it says in the Hebrew that the Lord faced him. The Lord, the presence, the face 
of God turned and deliberately looked at Gideon. Now I've got another thing there. The word face in the Hebrew language is always in the plural. That's so really if I would have really put it into English it would be that the Lord turned his faces to Gideon. You get where I'm going with this, don't you? That the the presence of God in his face and of course it, it says that in Numbers in chapter 6 as you might remember because we've been there before but in chapter 6 of Numbers um, you had the great blessing it says thus you shall bless the sons of Israel the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance same idea as face on you that is his face his presence he looks at you and when he looks he says his face shines which is delight it's grinning from ear to ear it is unrestrained joy delight the Lord looks at you and he loves you and he delights in you no parent has ever looked at their baby with such delight as he looks at you with delight the Lord looks at you make his face to shine on you lift up his countenance on you and it says he looked with love I mean really what Gideon has just said uh, he d deserves a slap around the head wake up boy do you know who you're talking to say if the Lord insult no there's none of that the Lord looked at him and the Lord loved him and his face shone upon him it's my boy it's my boy little ignorant right now but he's my boy you should see where he's going I, I love him you see I love him but he does not enter into a debate with Gideon concerning what he just said he simply repeats in a slightly different way what he said to begin with you you could say actually that he ignored what Gideon said and continues to press his original statement your strength is that the Lord is with you your strength mighty man of valor think about this we, we speak so much of God is love but along with that is God is truth and that word in the Bible languages means underlying reality rock bed foundation reality and, and, and that's hand in hand because you see love cannot lie lying is the absolute opposite of love and and, and God can, says it's impossible for God to lie and again he it says he cannot lie so God cannot have a lying thought ever thought about that 
God can never be deceived. He can never speak a lying word. Nor can he participate in a lying action. He knows himself. He knows himself in reality. God knows himself to perfection. The truth of who he is. And he knows the unwavering truth of the covenant that he has made with this people and specifically with Gideon. I say that because Gideon was in the loins of Abraham and was in the loins of his great-great-great-grandparents at Sinai. So this is... God knows himself. He knows himself committed to Gideon. He knows that he will not. He could not. It cannot enter into his mind to be faithless toward Gideon. And he also knew the truth concerning Gideon, that he was a man in covenant, though he obviously didn't know it and gave no thought to it, but he was a man in covenant and when the Lord spoke and says, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor, the Lord was speaking the absolute truth concerning Gideon. So that being the case, God cannot, and I use that word very advisedly, he cannot enter into a discussion with Gideon's negativity. He cannot answer as a discussion point the hopelessness that Gideon lays out because that would be a lie you see and so his only response love's only response to Gideon is not to enter into his darkness it, it is rather to replace with truth and so repeats, this is your strength. The Lord is with you. You are a mighty man of valor. That's the truth. I, 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 I cannot go where you're going. Therefore, my gentle, insistent words concerning who you are and my faithfulness to the covenant, they are healing words. They're caressing your, your terrified, broken spirit. And he doesn't talk to Gideon about, you know, you really should stop thinking like that and get out of it. He, God is not in the business of taking something out of us. He doesn't, rather, instead, he fills our mind. He, he gives us a heartful vision of his grace and his favor who we truly are. He heals us by pointing to who we are and therefore who we shall be. We always want to talk about the past and all our screw-ups and how ill-equipped we are and all the trouble in our life and the Lord will not go there. He'll only tell us who you truly are regardless of circumstances, who you truly are and therefore because of who you are, what you shall be. This is very confusing to Gideon. Getting uncomfortable. 
He believed the lies because he believed that appearance and feeling were the absolute standard to judge things by. So he believed his lies and he believed that God had abandoned. But no, that is all the Lord does is come back to who you is, you is. It's got nothing to do with appearances, nothing to do with your happenings, nothing to do with your feelings. This is, is, is who you are. And could I just throw this out? God is not in denial. He, he, he's not involved in some legal fiction. You know, the idea that, well, this is who you, how God sees you, but we all know you're not that. No, that, that's, no. God doesn't talk gobbledygook like that. That's religion. God is not a paper God. He's the real McCoy. Life is not a game of monopoly where we play with fake money and fake possessions and then fold up the board and go back to reality. No. He who is truth, who only speaks reality, who cannot think a lie or a deceit, he looks at Gideon as he looks at you and without reference to all our complaints he tells us who we really are. This is who you are. The beloved of God who you really are. And Gideon answers huh, his second statement to contradict what has been said. He talks about his family status. He said, uh, we're the least in the whole tribe, and within my clan I'm the least, I'm the littlest, I'm the no good one. He, he, he was giving, what shall I say, the family status in terms of the opinion of the family and the opinion of those who knew them. The opinion, that's another way of translating the word which is usually translated glory or honor. He said, this is the opinion. This is what how people look at us. This, this is our glory. This is our honor that we are of all persons the smallest and the most insignificant. Again, he sees the covenant as something national, something historical. He doesn't realize that his littleness is swallowed up in the greatness of God. He's governed by his family name, not by the words of truth, the covenant of God. Insignificant. His human genes, his status given by those around him, the opinion of the circle of those who knew the family. He's defined by his track record. Huh. I governed his expectancy. And God does not answer. He does not answer to discuss and debate the truth of that. Because, as I say, God can only speak truth. That, that's who he is. I, I want to emphasize, God, God does not say, think about this, he doesn't say, Gideon, you, you have a problem. 
Uh, I, I can hear it. You, you've got a problem with fear. You, you have a problem with your sense of worth. And obviously you have a problem with unbelief and trust. You, you need to have some counseling before we can go on with this conversation, don't we? I, I'm sure that there's a group at your church, you know, 12-step program to get rid of your fears. And yeah, you really need some help with your sense of self-worth. Hmm. No, because you see, Gideon's mindset is in the lie. Uh, you don't counsel that. It can, it can only be put to death. God never counsels the old man. God doesn't counsel and put the flesh in a 12-step group. He comes into our minds and he gently but insistently places the truth, the truth. Understand this. Sin, boy, this really takes another hour. Sin is not behavior. I know that will probably take you two or three days to absorb that. Sin is not a behavior. Sin is a nest of lies. A nest of ideas that are lying ideas. Which of course then produce behavior. But the sin is in the ideas, the mind of the heart. Have you ever thought of this? Satan did not tempt Eve to any behavior. Oh, I know, you know, the children's stories written by religion say that, but no, if you read the Bible, Satan did not tempt Eve to behavior. He hinted, but he did not tell her or tempt her to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not that stupid. Rather, he just placed a thought in her head, an idea, a speculation. A speculation regarding God, a thought, a suggestion that said that God is not the good God you think he is. Just a thought, just a thought. Because if he was, he would have said this, you see. And so he places a suspicion that God is not love, or he would have told them more than he had. Just an idea, just an idea, just speculating, you know. And of course, it's not only that God isn't what he thought, what you think he is, but also he's kept from you who you really are. So I'm suggesting that not only is God not love as you think he is but he's also keeping you from being who you really are and if only you would follow this thought you shall be as God you'll be independent you'll know what God knows that's what she followed that thought that idea and when as she toys with that idea and she looks at the tree and it, it, she saw it as she'd never seen it before. It looked good. I mean, really, yeah. What, what's God stopping us doing this for? And, and she looked again at the tree and it, it, it just cried out to be eaten. Every pore of her body says, eat it. It looks so good. 
And then she looked again and said, it's going to make me wise, wiser than God. All this is, is thought. And Satan just is sitting there watching. He, he did not tempt her to do something. Rather, he put ideas in her head that were lies, 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 which produces the behavior, which is, that's the sin has now conceived and brought forth. We, we believe lies. It's not always Satan's direct lies, but the lies of Satan now have spawned and become lies in the hearts of men. And men, mankind, families have become centers of lies. And we're drawn into it. Lies. And we speak things like Gideon spoke because of lies. I was raised in a family. And, and it was, well, it was, huh, I suppose I could say it was stronger than the Ten Commandments. That we were insignificant. We were of the peasant class. I don't think anybody actually said we were worthless, but everything that was said suggested that. And as I might have mentioned it before, I was raised with a mantra. And that was not for the likes of us. It didn't matter what. The idea of even owning a bicycle was about as far as we were allowed to think. Uh, we were peasants. And for the lords and the knights and the sirs and the barons and the royal family, well, that's them, but not for the likes of us. And the second mantra was the glare of my grandmother saying, be thankful for small things, meaning never aspire to more than just what's in front of you. Yeah, I, 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 I think I would have said in those days, I would have said exactly what Gideon said. The, talk about us. We have no, no word to say in life. We're, we're, we can never be more than we are. We can never amount to anything. We can never dream. Not us. We're in the energy field of believing that although God be God and the covenant be the covenant, but it's not for the likes of us. We're just in that nation that has that as their... No, God did not enter into debate with that because there's nothing to debate. It's lies. It's empty. Rather, he speaks that final word. The final word. The Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. And you will defeat Midian as one man. Well, he hasn't changed the topic. He has said the same thing over and over again. And this time I will be with you. The Lord be with you is how he began. Now it's right in your face. I will be with you. And you will defeat this whole tribe uh, of, of thugs. You will defeat him as one man. Oh yeah, the people followed, but it was Gideon that was to lead them. The truth shatters the lie. And though all I hear in this passage is the gentleness of the Lord and, and as caressing hands of healing this broken young man. And it seems he finally got through. 
at least the beginning of getting through. The rest of the story, which covers the next chapters, is God discovering to Gideon who Gideon is in his relationship to the Lord. All the twists and turns of the story, it's fascinating, of how Gideon discovers who he really is. We live in the new covenant and the scripture says that our new covenant is limitlessly better than this covenant that we're talking about in the old. It doesn't contradict the old, but it totally f is fulfilled to points never dreamed of. Jesus is that new covenant. Jesus fulfills the old and brings us into everything God ever wanted to give to us, the pe his people. Jesus is the word. He's the word of truth. He's truth speaking, reality, undergirding, rock, foundation, reality. He said, I am the truth. Not merely has it, he is it. He's described in Revelation as the faithful and true witness. He is the face of God among us. <coughs> and we move in Jesus from the Old Testament, the Lord be with you. You will still find that in the New Testament, but it is now fully explained by another phrase which doesn't appear in the Old Testament. That is, in Christ. You are in Christ. Christ. Uh, and you would have to read the entire New Testament. Well, yes, because even in the Gospels, Jesus said, I am in you and you are in me. And, and then uh, the epistles of Paul and the rest of them, John, Peter, they, they enlarge on that. And this one phrase, what is it that describes a Christian? And the entire New Testament reiterates like the tolling of a bell. You are in Christ. You are in Christ. And Christ is in you. I said at the beginning that this agape seeks union. And I said it begins right inside the Holy Trinity. And that is how we understand the Trinity, according to the words of Jesus. He says that he was in the Father. The Father was in him, and the Spirit in him. In, in, in. What, what, what does it mean? How can I put it so simply? That the Trinity, the three, occupy the same space without in any way um, demeaning or dismissing the other. And so each is in the other without pushing the other out of the way. There is room and they move around in each other's space. That's in. So that all that the Father is is poured into the Son and all the Son is is in the Father. All the Father and Son is, is in the Spirit, and the Spirit in, and so on. In, in. Total dependence. Total upholding the one of the other. Total sharing of experience. That is why you can never just meet with Jesus as someone other than the Father. You meet with Jesus, and to meet Jesus, you've seen the Father. 
though Jesus isn't the Father, but he's in the Father, and the Father is in him, and that's why his report is faithful and true. But Jesus, oh, this is, if I can share with you this fact, that Jesus, who has told us that's how the Holy Trinity is in And now he extends that and says, and you are in me. I mean, do you get that? Come on, I want to shake you. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Jesus says, in that day you shall know that I am in the Father. Okay. But then he says, and I am in you and you are in me. Just a minute. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in, in, in that that's what love is and now he says I'm I'm inside of you and you're inside of me but I'm inside of the Father where does that put you right in the middle of the Holy Trinity he says I'm in you and therefore all of your life is there there's not a circumstance there's, there's not a relationship there's nothing that happens to you but that it happens in Christ and There's nothing that has happened to him but that it has happened to you. You are in Christ. And the gospel essentially is obeying that fact. It is listening from above that the Father is saying this is the all of the revelation of God is in Jesus. You've been placed into him and Jesus is the one who passes through our death in order to carry us into the Father. We are placed. We are, is, the God who's not in denial. He looks at you this night with eyes of love. You are placed in the family, God family. You say, well, you don't know my family. I don't want to know your family. Your family died with Christ in order that the true you might emerge. My family, with all of it's not for the likes of us, my family that said you had to be satisfied with soup and a piece of bread, they died in Christ. That I might rise, and them too, to discover their riches in Christ. So we're not called members of our family. We're called the sons and the daughters of God. We, we, we are called that Jesus is our elder brother. We're in a new family here in Christ and Christ in us. He calls us saints. Yeah, they're not people who have been dead for 500 years. Read all the epistles. He's talking to blue-collar workers in Ephesus and said to the saints in Ephesus and so on. He calls us the righteous, those who are walking in covenant union with the Father through the Son. And interestingly, when it says there, and I've been quoting scripture, he calls us, he calls us. That word call is not a hey you sort of call. It is that I am called Malcolm. Um, It's the word that describes family call. It's how you're named and surnamed. He, He calls you. He declares you to be members of the Holy Trinity family. Or as Peter dares to say, that we are partakers of the divine nature. That's who we are. 
He says we have an organic union. Christ is in you. You are in Christ as the head and the body are one with no... As a vine and the branches are an organic union. You know, it is possible, dear Lord, is it possible, to celebrate events, events like Christmas and Easter and so on, there are events, and vaguely people remember where they happened, history back there. But there's no concept that that is a throbbing, radical, dynamic reality in our personal lives. To the extent we really, I mean, the celebrating of the historical event is, is way down the list. The fact is, we who are Christians celebrate that God incarnate is in us. We celebrate not merely an historical event that he died and rose from the dead, which he did, but that that resurrection, we're united with that, and we're living in that right now. And that's how he talks to us. That's how he calls us, in accord with that truth. And, and still, huh, the ideas that bring fog, the Satan floats it before us. Look at what's happening. If the Lord was, if you were in Christ, this wouldn't be happening, would it? Now, see, the Holy Spirit has number one task, and that is to open the eyes of our understanding. Open, open your eyes to see who, not only who God really is, but because of who He really is, then who I really am. And so, as I just now quoted from Ephesians 1.17, the eyes of your heart, your understanding, be enlightened or flooded with light so that you, you might be able to know the hope to which you have been called. That's what Gideon is being introduced to, a hope. A hope? Yes. And I'm now talking to you. The Lord sits under the tree of your life and he talks to you and says, the Lord is with you. Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And his words of gentle love brought by the Holy Spirit open our eyes. Colossians 1 talks about being filled with the knowledge of God. That doesn't mean knowing about God to pass a theological test. It means that you know God as God knows God, and therefore you know yourself as God knows you. It's the knowledge that God has. Or 1 Corinthians 2, where, where it says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, never entered into the heart of man, but God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. He's shown us the incredible. But you see, he doesn't impose. He doesn't just toss her. He enters into a conversation with this fellow. He lets him talk, as he always does, because it's important for him to hear where we're at and to hear it in our words and for us to bring our thoughts out. But his answer is never to impose. He doesn't squash us and say, you will believe this. 
doesn't love never imposes love never makes you do love sets us free and therefore love woos us into a relationship with love to believe the truth truth concerning God truth concerning ourselves and therefore to live in accord with that Gideon spoke with a certain religiosity I, I, I even think he might have thought he was being humble you know how religion is um, religion is shocked by by what I've said as Gideon was shocked by what the Lord was saying um, because religion will always start with, with the mess you're at and in and say we've got to have long counseling sessions and you've got to do work on your unbelief and fears and unworthiness and God just comes in and says this is who you are we don't have to work on that for that was included into Christ and carried to death we, we deal with who you now are for in his resurrection he carried you to the Father this is radical radical can't fit this into your old ideas I meet so many who say well I, I love what you're saying and I, I'm trying to fit it into my, my churches no, it doesn't work I can tell you that right now this is radical from here on out Gideon can never say if you are with us look at what's no 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 I've got, I've got it I've got it you're with us now nor can he ever say I'm so insignificant I'm in I'm nothing because he knew God did not believe that God didn't see that it, it is a radical radical transformation from the ground up maybe under the ground deep foundations they've all got to go and be replaced by this grounding fact of God's overwhelming grace his love that has placed us in Christ and that's the way it is we can never be the same again we can never really think again the same we can certainly not talk like we talk we can't prophesy over our lives as we've been doing to say this is going to be a terrible week this, this, I, I, I'm never going to be handled this uh, I, I know I'm going to fall apart and all those other lying words that spew out of our mouths no you can't do that anymore I've seen the truth I hardly know what to do with it but I've seen the truth as it is in Jesus you need courage when you know the truth of God you need courage to be it and to do it courage to see yourself in the light of who God says you are through Christ courage to speak of yourself as you truly are courage to go and do it's so much easier to default into the old ancestor thinking You'll have a good crowd around you if you moan and whine at your insufficiency and inability, and they'll all throw in their own two cents. But you're, called, you're, you're the saints, you see. You're the righteous. You're the sons. You're the daughters in Christ. And then with that courage, you face the opposition of this world.
and you rise to be who you truly are in Christ Jesus the Lord. Well, I hope I didn't try to put too much on you. I'd leave you with the Holy Spirit, the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. His blessing be in you and with you, enlightening you to discover your true self in Jesus Christ. So I bless you. So it is this night. Amen.